God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As we prepare to dig into this passage of scripture for today, I would like to know by a show of hands, how many of you have ever heard of Ascension Sunday before? Raise your hands if you have. Oh, okay. There's a much higher response of that in this service than in the first service. (laughs) Over the last 15 years or so, as I have begun attending churches as an adult and not just the churches that I went to as a child because my father was the pastor, It has been interesting for me to learn the differences between which days in the liturgical year Baptist churches acknowledge and which ones get skipped over. Now it's about a 50-50 split when it comes to Ascension Sunday from my own personal research. And this has always been surprising to me because I grew up in Baptist churches and in those Baptist churches we knew that the Sunday before Pentecost was always Ascension Sunday. For me, Pentecost and Ascension go hand in hand just as much as Palm Sunday and Easter do. Each of these days is important on their own, but they are even more powerful when they are placed side by side with their counterpart. Ascension Sunday marks the end of the Easter season, and with its arrival, we move into the season of Pentecost. It moves us from the narrative of Jesus' life and death and resurrection into the life of the early church and the work that the earliest followers of Christ and those that are present-day Christians are called to do. These weeks in the circle of the church year are known as ordinary time, and they are the weeks where the normal, everyday things happen where we have moved past the mystery and awe of Easter, and we are now discovering how, the faith and our, how our faith and our lives intersect and become part of one another. And so as we begin to look at this passage from the book of Acts, it might be helpful for us to kind of know how we got to this place. First off, some of you may know that the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Acts have the same author. We know this because in the first verse of both of these books, the author is speaking to someone named Theophilus. And in first one of Acts, the author tells us what he wrote about in the first book, which would be the Gospel of Luke. And so it is very clear that Luke and Acts are not only written by the same person, but they are intended to be read by the same audience. The Gospel of Luke ends somewhat abruptly. If we only had the Gospel of Luke to tell us what happened after the crucifixion, the following events would have happened all in one day. The women would have gone to the tomb to visit Jesus and discovered that it was empty, but they would not have had an encounter with the risen Christ. Then comes the story about the road to Emmaus, where there are two disciples who are journeying on the road and they encounter Jesus, but they do not immediately recognize him. Following that, Jesus has appeared to the disciples and then he leads them out of the city, he blesses them, and he ascends into heaven. The end. But in the book of Acts, in the first five verses, which we didn't hear today, we read that Jesus stayed with his disciples for 40 days, teaching about the kingdom of God. He promises them that they will soon be baptized with the Holy Spirit, 
And then in our passage for today, he gives them the game plan of what they're supposed to do next. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As soon as Jesus calls his disciples into action, he ascends to heaven and disappears from their sight. But I like that in the book of Acts, we know that Jesus didn't appear to only a few people and then disappear into the heavens. He spent time with his disciples to help them understand that, yes, I really am alive. And then after some time, he takes them outside of Jerusalem and he departs from them. As the disciples stand and watch Jesus ascend to the heavens, two messengers appear and snap them back to reality. Why are you looking up to heaven? I mean, I think it's a little obvious why the disciples are looking up to heaven. They have again witnessed something miraculous and completely unexpected. But it seems as if these messengers arrive before the curtain of clouds has even closed and they're telling the disciples to get a move on. There's no time to waste. There's no point in standing around and waiting for Jesus to come back or for the Holy Spirit to arrive. There's work to be done. While the arrival of the messengers and their questions might seem a little abrupt and harsh, I can't say I blame them for responding this way. They know that it doesn't make sense for the disciples to stay on top of the mountain with eyes searching the skies. At some point, the disciples have to come down from the mountaintop and rejoin the world. The theologian Karl Barth calls this time between Ascension and Pentecost a significant pause. It's this odd time between two mighty acts of God. The disciples find themselves in a place where they are looking back and looking forward and looking up all at the same time. They're looking back at where they've been and how far they've come, and yet they're looking forward because they know that they have instructions on what to do next. But I also can't help but think that from time to time, they find themselves looking upward, hoping for a glimpse of Jesus descending from the clouds. This image of the disciples looking backwards, forwards, and up allows us to ask ourselves the question this morning, where are our eyes focused? Do you find yourself looking back at the past, forward to the future, or up to the heavens? I imagine that over the course of our lives, we find ourselves casting our eyes in each of these directions. In times when we are feeling nostalgic or sentimental, we might be looking over our shoulder, remembering how life used to be. In times of transition, whether planned or unplanned, we might be trying to peer into the future and see what it holds. And in times when we aren't sure what to do, I imagine that those of us in the world who believe in any sort of higher power find ourselves casting our eyes up to the heavens and searching the skies for a glimpse or a sign that God is still up there, wherever there may be. I have found myself figuratively and literally looking up towards heaven more than once this week. I have found myself looking for a glimpse of Jesus' presence in a different way. Last week, we talked about the promise that Jesus gave his disciples that they would never be alone. And we focused on the fact that Jesus gave his disciples a blessing of peace and comfort them, comforted them with the words, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. And I have to admit that it has been difficult for me to let these words carry me through this week, as I'm sure it has been difficult, 
difficult for each of us. This week, our hearts have been deeply troubled, and I am sure they have been afraid. It has been hard for me to find peace that Jesus speaks of when emotions like sadness and anger and grief and more anger have been, more, have been quicker to rise to the surface. The events that happened in the town of Uvalde, Texas this week have been heartbreaking, terrifying, and infuriating. While I know that we are a congregation made up of members on both sides of the aisle when it comes to politics and theology and our opinions on hot topics in today's culture, I know that we all can agree that what happened at Robb Elementary School or at one of too many other schools who have experienced the same thing should never, ever have happened. I know that while we have different positions on various rights that individuals have, every single one of us would agree that children and teachers deserve the right to attend school without being afraid. Customers have the right to go to a grocery store and not be afraid. Worshippers have the right to go to church and worship without being afraid. We can agree that the list of schools and churches and common everyday places that have experienced terrifying and horrendous actions of violence is entirely too long. And I hope that we can agree that while thoughts and prayers are important in hard times like these, they no longer are enough and something has to change. And so this week, my eyes have been looking up, hoping and praying for a sign of peace and comfort that was just as clear as the one Jesus gave his disciples when he told them he would not leave them. My eyes have been cast towards heaven as I have prayed to God, asking for God to fill this country with a peace that only can come from the divine. My eyes have been searching for a way to see God in the tragedies that have happened in Uvalde or Buffalo or Laguna Woods, fill in the blank with the city. Plenty of people look around and say, this is a world without God. It's a world where moment by moment, children are dying in school shootings, Tyrants are attempting to secure power over suffering populations, and society is trying to put its life back together in the wake of a pandemic. It isn't hard to see why so many people are driven to say, well, it feels like a world without God. And perhaps in secret, Christians would agree that for some of us, that is indeed how the world feels for us too. Dr. Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, preached a sermon in London on Ascension Sunday in 2011. And while he spoke these words over a decade ago, when I read them this week, they gave me something to hold on to. And so I share them with you this morning. He says, Jesus goes away, but he promises that he will fill his friends with his spirit that he will make them breathe the same air he breathes, as we might put it. Whatever we may be feeling from moment to moment, we have been given a relationship with Jesus that doesn't depend on being able to see him or speak with him in the ways that his friends could during his earthly life and following his resurrection. And this relationship means that we are able to turn in complete trust to God and to respond to the apparently godless world with something of God's compassion and God's transfiguring energy. Jesus hasn't just gone away. 
Jesus has gone deeper into the heart of our reality. Jesus has become far more than a visible friend and a companion. He has shown himself to be the very center of our life. He has made us able to be a new kind of human being, silently and patiently trusting God as a loving parent, actively and hopefully at work to make a difference in the world, to make a kind of difference that God's love can make. In verse 11, two messengers join the disciples as they are watching Jesus ascend to heaven, and they say, why are you looking up? They know that Jesus has officially done all he can do, and that it is up to the disciples to carry on doing the work that Jesus has set them. These messengers know that as long as the disciples are looking up towards heaven, then they aren't focused on the work that is to be done here on earth. As long as the disciples stay on that mountain, wondering when Jesus will come back, then they aren't able to follow Jesus's command and to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. As long as the disciples stay on that mountain and are looking up, they're missing the point. And the point is this, that we are to offer ourselves as a sign of God in the world, to live in such a way that the underlying, all-pervading energy and love of God become, begins to come through us and make us different. If we are asking ourselves, where is God in the world, our answer must be to ask ourselves how we can think and pray and live and act to bring the face of Jesus to life in our own faces. And so the same work that was set for the disciples on Mount Olivet outside of Jerusalem is the same work that has been set for us here in the mountains and in Waynesboro. And while it is important for us to be looking up and to be thinking about and praying for each and every person who has ever found themselves confronted with the fact that there are terrible things that happen in this world, that's not where it stops. Jesus says to his disciples on the mountain, go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That doesn't just mean telling people about Jesus in God. It means that when we witness places and events in the world that don't align with God's dream and God's hope for us, we have to act. It means that when we see people being treated as less than, we move towards them and treat them as our equal. We don't look away or even look up and just pray for them. It means that when we feel in the depths of our soul that something isn't right, we no longer wait to see if someone else is going to stand up and speak up first. We take the courageous step and we speak out and trust that our voice will be joined by the voices of others. It means that when you find yourself asking the question, where is God in the world? You only have to look in a mirror. You, no matter how old or how young, how brave or scared, shy or outgoing, you are a living and breathing example of God's dream and God's presence in the world. And it's up to you and me and all of us to do whatever we can to have a part in helping God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Why are you looking up, the messengers say to the disciples? At first glance, it seems like a slightly humorous question, but I hope that after today you hear this question differently. 
Hopefully it is a question that reminds us that we were not commanded to stay on the mountain and wait for Jesus to return in the same way he left. Hopefully this question will move us to action so that we can use our bodies, voices, hands, minds, and hearts to work at being living, breathing witnesses of God's presence on earth. It's not an easy job, but it is the task we have been given, and it is the one that has been set for us nonetheless. May we strive to be followers of Jesus that work to be people of peace, justice, and love in a world that so desperately needs all three. And may we go about our work in a way that allows us to be able to look at the world around us and realize that what the world needs right now, more than anything else, are people who are willing to act and move in ways that carry out God's dream for the world. A dream that lets every person know that they are loved, cherished, and seen. Just like the messengers moved the disciples to action with their words, may their words and their question move us to action too. We've got work to do, so let's get to it.